to your classrooms. Uh, thank you again for the way you led us this morning. Uh, we are very grateful uh, to be in a church where we can worship alongside you and then have you up front as well. Um, this, if you are new here at Redeemer, welcome. There it should be a welcome card in the seat back in front of you. Uh, fill that out. Uh, and we will get back to you about um, how it's hanging out and you learning more about the church. Uh, and also, this is just a great Sunday for you to be here. Um, like, this is a window into life at Redeemer, uh, where we value uh, the children. Uh, we value and love to celebrate uh, when God is working uh, in people's hearts. Um, and it's a mess uh, sometimes uh, here at Redeemer, but it's a beautiful mess uh, because we are a, a mess of a family together. Uh, so we're so thankful you all are here as visitors. Um, we would love to follow up with you if you have any questions. Uh, without further ado, we are getting to the sermon here. Uh, it's from Luke 1, 39 to 56. And uh, at our house, uh, every night that we have dinner uh, together around the table, uh, we stole this from another family at the church, but as a way to kind of get conversation going around the table, we got uh, four kids, uh, 5 to 11, uh, we will go through the day and say, we want to hear three things you did and one thing you felt today. So some of us struggle more than others to name our feelings. Uh, so we actually have a feelings wheel uh, that is printed out. Um, and the feelings wheel has like, feels like a million feelings. I'm not, even, I'm not even sure if I've ever felt some of the feelings, um, but a million feelings on that wheel. And we'll go around there um, and kind of say, this is the one I felt today and why. And I imagine if we went around this room and passed out that same feelings wheel, there'd be a range of feelings present. You probably feel some happiness and joy. It's hard not to uh, when you watch kids uh, worship the Lord and, you know, work through, you know, even the rhythmically challenged of us in the crowd, work through what it looks like to praise the Lord with our bodies and our voices. And we'll also have feelings that are not quite as positive. This time of year especially would not surprise me if there is at least a percentage of feelings, if we ask you to write down your feelings, it may include being over whelmed may include, maybe not right now specifically, but may include some feelings of fear or anxiety or worry. If you're like me, when you have these sort of feelings and you have a, a week or a day where it feels like it is, you know, more of those type of emotions than less, you oftentimes have a win, a W-H-E-N approach to feeling like that. When this week is done, I'll go back to sleeping peacefully again. Has anybody had that feeling? When that conversation that is coming up is had, I'm sure I won't feel so nervous anymore. When this project is over, I'll feel joy once again. When my children are fill in the blank here, potty trained, when they are in school full-time, when they're done with teething, when they have transitioned out of teenage years, whatever it is for the parents in the room, I will feel myself or peaceful or joyful again. When, when, when. Well, I'll tell you, I'm only 38 years old, but I've lived long enough to know that, spoiler alert, the when is probably not coming. There's probably not going to be a time, a season of life to where you have gotten over the hump of things that are difficult or troublesome. 
Yes, you're going to have seasons of life, prayerfully, that are less intense than others, for sure. But your life, like my life, will go from joyful thing to difficult thing, to wonderful season to a season of suffering. And I don't say that as a doom and gloom. I say that because that's what the Father has promised us. But the question that we have today, and as we look at this incredible passage of two, women in, in, in two women's interaction in the Bible, we have to ask ourselves, how do we have peace when life magically gets simpler, but in the midst of the chaos, what does it look like for us to rejoice in the midst of uncertainty? When God calls us into a season where the waves of life feel like they're tossing you and I about, what does it mean to rest well? What does it mean to worship with great delight? We're going to be taught by Mary and Elizabeth this morning. So let's read our Bible and see what they have for us. Starting in verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has promised that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. My soul rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped the servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and returned home. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the passages in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation that we sit under their authority. We sit under the teaching of the Bible to be shaped, to be molded, to be convicted, to be corrected, to be encouraged, to be admonished. And Father, I pray that you would do all of those things today. We praise you for new believers. We praise you for Ramiah's journey of following you that began this last week. We pray that you would continue to walk with her and teach and help us as a, as a body of Christ, as a church, to encourage and disciple her well. Father, we thank you for the kids 
And we are such a joyful reminder of what childlike faith looks like. Father, may we steward the children well here at Redeemer. And Father, I pray that you would use this scripture to grow us into men and women that look more and more like you. Teach us what it means to be men and women that follow you, even in the uncertainty. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so a little background here. We're in Luke 1, so there's not a whole lot that I need to catch you up on here uh, in Luke. But the background here is that right before Mary uh, took the pilgrimage over to visit Elizabeth, an angel had shown up at this young woman's home. Showed up at Mary's house with big news, the biggest of news, you're about to be pregnant. Now, Mary, understandably, is a little bit confused by this and is saying, how can that be so? I've never been with a man intimately. The angel says, don't worry about that. I got that taken care of. It's actually happening. (laughs) I love the reassurance of this. Don't worry about that. It's actually happening through the Holy Spirit. And Mary's like, okay, cool. I'm good with that. She responds, I am the Lord's servant. May your word me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. We find out a few verses earlier. Then Mary then goes and shows up at Elizabeth's house, and Elizabeth's joy cannot be understated here. Elizabeth looks at her friend Mary and says, you are blessed. Blessed meaning that she understands the definition to be to know the satisfaction of being a part of God's plan. She exclaims that the baby inside of her, the baby inside of Elizabeth, who would later be named John, leapt in her womb. And what an affirmation of life in the womb, for one. And what a picture into who John would be, a man so excited to be in the presence of God that he leaps in the womb. So we have this beautiful moment between these two pregnant women, two friends, two women who have been blessed by God, but let's not forget the, the bigger situation that's going on here. As we know, Mary is a, a very, very young woman who's engaged to be married to Joseph, but as we know, has not been married yet. And Mary, as well as Joseph, does not come from a family of wealth, to, so to get pregnant outside of marriage would have been relational and social death. Mary was the poorest of poor. Later in the Gospels, we learn that she went to give an offering. They went to give an offering, and she gave two pigeons. Now, we don't quite have the the cultural context for that. If you came and gave two pigeons here, we wouldn't know if you were poor or rich. We would just have some questions about where you got those pigeons. But back then, they would have understood that if you could not give a, a kind of a normal offering, you would have given two pigeons. And though she has found great favor with the Lord, Mary is a nobody in the social system. Unwed pregnant woman, her life, whether she even has has fully sank in or not, is going to be ruined relationally and socially. And I can't emphasize enough the societal struggles of a woman in that day. Forbidden in some circles to speak to men in public that they didn't know. Oral law held that a man who even greeted a woman publicly brought evil upon himself. 
This is the world where Mary could be punished and even humiliated if the question of whether or not she had been with a man intimately is even, not even if it happened, but even if it's called into question. So though there is excitement, there has to be fear as well. So let us never read this story and forget that God could have chosen any means necessary. He did not have to choose the the lower income, unwed woman to have Christ come in her womb. He could have chosen anyone in the entire world, but he chose Mary, who, as we know, is incredibly courageous and faithful, but Mary was not important by the world's standards. She did not have influence. She did not have a flock of people looking to her for direction. And it goes to show that we have got to stop looking at others and ourselves through the youthfulness of the world's standards. What did Mary bring to the table? The same thing we can bring to the table no matter what our means are, and that's a faithful willingness to listen and follow. It goes to show the Lord uses the humble, but it also goes to show that our understanding of God's work in us cannot be contained to when life is easy or everything makes sense. If I'm Mary, I would look at this, and I don't think I would have responded as she did and say, you know, if that's, if that's the Lord's will, I'm good with that. There'd be a part of me that would have just said, is this really the best plan? It takes us back to the question we have of how do we have peace and joy when, when life magically gets not easier, but more and more chaotic. How do we respond to that? So often, if you're like me, you look at God and you say, this can't be right. God's calling us into messy relationship. God's calling us into following him into a season of of uncertainty. But you know, and it's been affirmed by others, this is where God's leading. And we often look at that situation and say, that can't be right. But see, from this passage, we understand that that is exactly what Mary's being called into. And yet she still walks in with joy and peace. And these questions, these illustrations are all over the Bible. We think about one of my favorite passages in the Gospels when the disciples are in the boat in the, the way out, you know, way out at sea. The waves are coming. They're crashing over the boat. They're getting scared out of their minds. And what is Jesus doing? Somebody call it out from the crowd. He's sleeping in the boat. Waves of life crashing all around. Disciples are nervous. They think Jesus has forgotten about them. They think this cannot be the plan for this moment right now. And what is Jesus doing? He is not only the example but the means. He is asleep as peaceful as can be. Think about Psalm 23, one of the most famous songs that we, uh, we've all heard, whether it's at funerals or other, uh, other, other church services. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. The story we see over and over in the Bible is not God taking his people out of uncertain, troubled times and giving them a a cush, easy, comfortable life. He says, no, I will walk with you in the midst of that uncertainty. So in life of Mary's life being net left, as Will Smith would have said, Flip turned upside down. I mean, she goes from planning a wedding, getting excited about being married to Joseph, 
and plan all the, 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 the fun of that to being pregnant. And we've already hit on the social impact of that, but we also have to address the physical unknowns as well. Yes, exciting, but gosh, that's got to feel overwhelming. Now, obviously, I've never been pregnant, so I'm speaking as a man here, but I'm sure it's incredibly fair to assume that though there is excitement in Mary's voice, when she lays down at night, there's also got to be a thought of what happens next. So we look at Mary's response to God calling her to a life of uncertainty, discomfort, and following him. And her response is, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my soul rejoices in God my Savior. I read that and I sit there and go, I want that. But how? Instead of my stomach going into knots when I'm in a season of uncertainty, I would love for my response to be worship like Mary. But how do we get there? And we see from Mary, it's not just a mustering up. It's not just I'm going to try hard. I'm going to you know, be able to look at the situation and say, if I, if I try hard enough, I can worship God. No, she understands something about God that I long for all of us to. And it really goes back to what we understand about Christianity as a whole. It's a quote from Tim Keller that's going to pop up on the screen. It says, if you think Christianity, if we think Christianity is mainly going to church, believing a certain creed and living a certain kind of life, then there will be no note of wonder and surprise about the fact that you are a believer. If Christianity is something done for you and done to you and done in you rather than by you, however, there is a constant note of surprise. What we see in Mary is that Mary rejoiced at God in his graciousness, chose to use her as a part of his magnificent plan. She recognizes who she is as a follower and he's the leader. She recognizes that just like, you know, two weeks ago when Ramiah stops by the front door, we don't sit there and muster up, say, hey, how can we as a church, you know, perfectly share the gospel and, and, and be able to convince somebody of the work of the Lord? We sit there and say, God, look, you're at work in a young woman's life and you brought her to the doorsteps of the church. And all we do as a church is respond saying, gosh, Look at this life that God has invited us into. What does it look like not to, to muster up? What do we need to do? What do we need to do to follow you? Mary worshiped because God moved. God says, I got you. And her natural response was to praise him. And it's understandable if there's, there's fear in her. We, we learned, you know, just a few minutes, just a few verses before this, angel said to her, when, he, when the angel greeted Mary, he says, do not be afraid, recognizing that is a temptation. But he, then he says, you have found favor with God. Do not be afraid of the chaos that's about to happen because I'll make it easy. No, because you have found favor with God. One of my favorite preachers up in Chicago, a guy named Charlie Date, says, Somewhere in that first Christmas was a lot of terror. Political turmoil, pending infanticide, a shakeup in the established religious order, sound familiar to today. 
He goes on to say, we don't need things to be ideal to enjoy Christmas. It seems like God times his entrance to meet our chaos with his joy. So before we dive into Mary's song a little bit more, let's take a second and pause so we don't look past the role that Elizabeth plays here. Now, I'm sure Mary wondered if she just might have even, you know, at this point walking in, there's got to be an ounce of her that imagined this whole thing. But what does Elizabeth do when she walks through the door? She says, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. The, The chaos that Mary has been called into, Elizabeth looks at Mary and affirms saying, you are walking in the ways of the Lord. What a window in to the body of Christ and the role we get to play to each other. We should read from this passage and understand that we have an opportunity as believers to speak truth into each other's lives. And the flip of that, the opposite of that, is that there is nothing that God, should, God has, has called you to that you should not look at your brothers and sisters and say, what do you think about this? Leaning into the body of Christ, recognizing that people can speak truth into you because they see things more clearly sometimes, more objectively. Mary, I'm sure, is, is, understands that the Lord is at work in her life, but there's got to be a fog around her going, what happens? What do I do next? And Elizabeth pierces through that fog, speaking truth to the woman and leads her to worship. Because God's calling you and I, has called, is calling, and will call you to incredibly hard things. And no, you aren't going to be called to carry the Son of God in your womb, but you still are called to do some incredibly difficult tasks ahead of you. And I ask the question, do you have people in your life that will be honest with you about when, honest with you when they don't think you're called to something as well as be wind in your sails when you do? Some of you have started ministries, whether that's vocationally or uh, in your community. You need people to look at you, either say, I don't think this is of the Lord, or to say, I see God at work. I want to be wind in your sails. Some of you have been pursuing what it looks like to be a foster parent. Some of you have pursued what it looks like to go back to school to pursue a calling. You feel God moving you to go back to school. You need the body of Christ to look in and have a window in and affirm the wind in your sails. Because you're going to doubt. If God's called you to something hard, and he has to all of us, you're going to doubt. You're going to think I might be crazy. You're going to get foggy at times. But we have the body of Christ to be able to name God's work and to tell you things that are true. So you have to ask the question, do you have people like Elizabeth to stand with you, affirm the things God's called you to, and then walk with you. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and returned home. Mary, Elizabeth looked at Mary and said, I see God at work. I understand what's going on, and I'm going to here to help and walk with you. And we see this all over the scriptures. Disciples being sent out in pairs. There's a reason for that. Hebrews 10 is going to pop up on the screen. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider that we may spur one another to love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. This is a team we are on together. A team that crosses cultural lines, crosses gender lines, crosses socioeconomic lines, crosses uh, age lines and categories. 
when we walk together living out Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10 hadn't even been written yet, and Elizabeth's saying, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to consider how I may spur you, on, spur you on to love and good deeds, encouraging you. And this encouragement led to what? It led to the first Christmas song. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. The scripture, the truth that Mary is clinging to is that she recognizes that she needs a Savior. She doesn't doesn't worship and say, God, look at how great I am. You made a wonderful choice of whose womb to put the Son of God in. This is a wise choice. Here's my resume of all the things I've done. Here's the plans I have. Mary looks at what has happened and says, you've been mindful of the humble state of a servant. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel. The gospel tells us that in her humility, God lifts us up. And he goes on to say, uh, if you are proud, you will be scattered. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. The example of Mary here is the example of an understanding that salvation is a supernatural act of grace. The people with the connections are every bit as lost as the people with zero connections in this life. But the grace of God is at work. Not in the ones that have it all together, but in those who recognize their need like Mary did. That they cannot be saved on their own, but once they realize this, they fall into the open arms of Jesus. They realize that in Jesus they are incredibly loved and incredibly cared for. So Mary's answer to where where did her joy come from? It came from knowing that by grace she was saved and invited to participate with God. Ephesians 2 is what we'll close with, 8 through 10, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And as Mary knew, this is not from yourself, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do God works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Brothers and sisters, Mary is the example for us to follow the example for us to understand that she points us to the God that cares so much about us that he would welcome us into his story, not by our means, but by his grace. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that as followers of you, we are not in charge. We're so thankful that as followers of you, we cannot muster up Though we cannot muster up peace and joy and contentment, that through the Spirit you remind us of what is true. And that truth leads us to peace and joy and contentment. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.